Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! And hey, we got a great episode for you guys this week. It is the start of our series on Heaven's Gay! Heaven's to Betsy! <laughs> Did you know, by the way, when I was looking up the movie uh, uh, Heaven's Gate on Amazon Prime, that there's a movie called Heaven's the Number Two Betsy, and it is a sequel to the movie Heaven's to Betsy. <laughs> What? Yeah, there's a lot of movies that exist in the world, and a lot of them are bad. Yeah, for sure. Why do either of these exist? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get to it, we've got some news and reviews. <laughs> so some of you might know if you followed our uh, social media accounts, we just launched our Patreon. Yay! We're not going to make a whole long speech because we do that uh, later in the episode, but... Essentially, by donating to our Patreon, you allow us to continue to make these episodes for free and allow to make uh, and allow us to make these episodes even better, as well as create additional content, new merch, and be able to tour. And with your help, we can really take this show and just make it even greater than we thought it could ever be before. And again, we make this huge long speech at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, if you want more information on our Patreon or you want to donate, you can just go to coltpodcastshow.com and then click on the Patreon tab at the top of the page. Uh, the other news that we have is we've got another live show. Live show! Our live show is coming up on August 27th, which is a Tuesday, and our two-year anniversary of the podcast. Yay. Happy birthday to us! Yeah, it's going to be... Happy birthday, cold podcast. <laughs> that was creepy, even for me. Yeah, I'm so sorry. It was good, though. It was very good, actually. Uh, surprisingly, on pitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our live show is going to be at 7.30 on August 27th. It's going to be at Geeky Tees and Games in Burbank, California. Yay! It's a great place, great venue. They've got a cat rescue and tons of really cool stuff in there. Meow. Yeah, including her owl. Uh, and us owl, <laughs> too. We're going to be doing our live show there. It's the Chicago Rippers. It's going to be a great time. Again, for more information, you can go to coltpodcastshow.com slash Burbank. Or go to cultpodcastshow.com and head over to the show's page. Tickets are $10 now or $15 at the door. Uh, but before we start, we've got another five-star review. <laughs> this one comes to us from Organized Chaos 304, and the title is Gets Me Through Work. Uh, and they say, I work in a cubicle doing billing, and this podcast helps me start my work week off strong. Dale, yeah. <laughs> is his name Dale? I hope it's Dale. I hope so. Or I think, I don't know if they meant to put hell, but they definitely wrote Dale, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, Dale. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dale, yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, so without any further ado, let's hop into this show. Yay. Yay. Hello. 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 Oh boy, I was the off pitch you one. Were. <laughs> I think I'm more on pitch when I'm sick. <laughs> Get on in here. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. 
All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetto! Yay! And it's Armando's week! Yeah! Hey, everybody. Welcome to the new and improved Cult Podcast. It's pretty much the same. It's it's basically the the same. same. We got, like, one piece of new equipment uh, and... A Patreon. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, that launched Join today. Join us. Give us all your money. Uh, there's definitely more information at the end of the episode and at the beginning uh, of the episode, but uh, we're really excited <laughs> to get into it. You guys ready? Are you guys stoked? What is Ooh, it? I don't know. I'm it? so excited. No one's told me we yet. We left clues. Only like two people have guessed it so far. <laughs> Yeah, at the time of recording. Uh, that's, that's true. By the time we finish the clues, I'm sure more people will guess. So before we get into it, I have, uh, if any episode deserves a pretentious write-up to, to bring us into it, this is it true. is this one. Yes. <sighs> On Wednesday, March 26th, 1997, a call came into a San Diego dispatch from a payphone. The caller claimed that dozens of people had committed mass suicide in a mansion nestled in the Rancho Santa Fe suburb of San Diego, California. The tip seemed so far-fetched that dispatchers treated it with the urgency of a littering complaint. It took Sheriff's Deputy Robert Brunk two hours to make his way to the now infamous villa. What he found was the site of the largest mass suicide on American soil. 39 dead bodies, 21 women and 18 men, ranging from ages 26 to 72, had all joined together in a horrifying ritual. They were all dressed the same, black sweatpants, buttoned-down tunics, and fresh-out-the-box Nike Decade jogging shoes. The bodies were shrouded by a square of deep purple fabric. Each detail the police uncovered gave less answers and just brought them more questions. Why had they done this? Where did they claim to be going? And where had they gotten such a great deal on Nikes? (laughs) (laughs) To find answers to these questions, or at least some small amount of reasoning, we need to take a deep dive into the group and their charismatic dead-eyed leader. So today, we're covering Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Where did they come from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? Cotton Eyed Heaven's Gate? <laughs> Cotton Eyed Armando? Oh, it could have Damn it. I'm bad at this. I'm sorry. I'm going to go take more cold medicine. <laughs> so, before we hop into this episode, I want to give you some sources. And oh my fucking God, are there a lot of sources. <laughs> I have been researching this cult for a really long time. And I've also been reading a bunch of books. I've been staying up late and watching documentaries and listening to podcasts. Uh <laughs> I did, I did a similar amount of research when I did uh, Happy Science, where I watched anime on, like, two times speed. <laughs> so, like, that's the way that I listen to podcasts during this episode, and so sometimes I had to, like, go back, but anyway. So today's sources are an article from Texas Our Texas, uh, information listed on the Parkway Presbyterian Church's website, Marshall Applewhite Jr.'s resume from 1974. Okay. Several obituaries listed on Legacy.com. The Applewhite Family Tree as listed on Geniant.com. 
The article Applewhite from Young Overachiever to Cult Leader by John Holloman. The article From Religious Childhood to Reigns of a UFO Cult by Jacques Steinberg. The article Cult's Founder Turned from Music to UFOs from the 1997 edition of The Vindicator. The book Heaven's Gate, America's UFO Religion by Benjamin E. Zeller. And the 1999 documentary Heaven's Gate, The Untold Story. Did you say Jacques instead of Jacques? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But he is a reporter, and what does a reporter do other than accuse Jacques. people? Jacques! <laughs> God damn it, Jack, can you get back to work? It's Jacques to you. <laughs> Je suis Jacques. Okay, Jacques Steinberg. I can't make Steinberg funny. <laughs> Steinberg. <laughs> it's Steinberg now. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Marshall Applewhite Jr. was born on May 17th, 1931 in the town of Spur, Texas, which I'm I fucking at that point. Just call your town cowboy shit, yeah. Texas, <laughs> Texas, Texas. <laughs> Just call it Texas Our Texas, an article that I read online. He was the third child of four born to Marshall Applewhite Sr. and his wife, Louise. Now, this episode is going to cover Marshall Applewhite's life, and that includes the story of his father, who has the same name. Well, okay, question. Uh, So there's four kids. He's the third of four. Are the first two girls? The first two are girls. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, did he name all of them Marshall Applewhite? No. (laughs) It's like a George Foreman situation? (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, They had two older sisters. And the older sisters- Were they um, both named Marsha? No, they were Jermaine and Tito. Go ahead. (laughs) The older sisters, uh, I believe one of them has the name Louise. So okay. it's it was kind of a thing where they like named kids after them. It's people who are insecure about the life and legacy that they're leaving who do this shit. But luckily, Marshall Jr. liked to go by his middle name. So for this episode, I'll be referring to Marshall Applewhite Jr., future leader of Heaven's Gate, by his preferred name, Herf. What? Oh my what? god. It's what? Herf. He went by Herf pretty much his entire life. Was that normal? Were there other people going by Herf? Or I had they to... just not discovered Nerf yet? No, I... Herf definitely is the worst knockoff of Nerf. It sounds like... Herf, he's... we're so safe, it's not fun anymore. Or is oh. that sound you make when you like successfully like don't throw up where you're like... <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Nerf for women. It's all pink nerfs. Oh. <laughs> pink nerf. <laughs> oh, it's it's a more delicate handle for my dainty hands because women can't hold Nerf You guns. can use the suction cups to catch your menstrual bloods. Oh, my God. No, is that what they have the little holes in the tube? I'm just imagining women shooting this up their vagina to stop blood flow. <laughs> just, you know that sound it makes where it's like, kashunk. When you fire a Nerf rifle? Well, when you fire a Herf, it goes, Herf! It's like an airsoft. <laughs> you're firing it up into your lady bed. It's like just into oh tampon my applicator. It's like, Paige, Paige, you gotta stop. I'm gonna Herf, I swear to God. <laughs> but yes, he went by Herf, and if you're wondering, it's spelled H-E-R-F-F. Gotta put the double Fs for... Fucking fucking. F is for phenomenal, right? Oh. <laughs> He's a real herf nerder. Oh, yay. Star Wars, Star Wars. I literally, I just realized I put that down. It sounds like a racial slur from the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Nerf herder in Pig Latin. Uh, so we'll be referring to Marshall Applewhite Jr., the leader of Heaven's Gate, as Herf, and we'll be referring to Herf's father as 
as Marshall Senior. As for a second, we're going to be referring to Herf's father as disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, Herf grew up with two older sisters, and while I'm sure that you know feeding four kids can get a bit difficult for the Applewhite family, difficult was a fucking understatement. That's because Herf was born right around the beginning of the Great Depression. When the Great Crash plunged the country into panic, most Texans thought that their growing agriculture and booming oil industries would keep the state afloat. But as the nation's economy completely collapsed, it became clear that Texas was going to suffer too. And moving into 1931, when Herf was born, Texas was hit by the Dust Bowl. The farming that kept the local economy alive was crippled by drought, harsh winds, and dust storms so bad that they blocked out the sun for hours at a time. A few years into the Great Depression, Louise gave birth to a fourth Applewhite child, Herf's younger brother. The ha- Scorpion King. <laughs> <laughs> so when, it picture, when it blacked out the sun, I was just like, this isn't good. This is some emo type shit. <laughs> However, the child was born with an intellectual disability and the family sent the boy to live in a state-run home. Intellectual disability is, and I googled it to make sure, the correct term uh, for somebody that they used to refer to, and this is true, this is not me saying this, this is an article in 1997 from the New York Times that called Herf's younger brother, quote, profoundly retarded. Oh, jeez. Okay. It sounds like the most low effort insult, but it's a, it's it was a medical diagnosis that at the time was meant to describe somebody with an IQ of 19 or lower. Oof. Which yeah. is barely functioning. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we had a son with a learning disability. We have to like we can't take care of him. It was like he needed professionals to help take care of him. So they sent him to live at an institution. Yeah. Which, can you imagine the institutions in the 30s? Oh, God. They're so horrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like they're just a prison with a piece of paper over the sign that's like, nah, we're good. This is like we're strapping people to gurneys. Yeah. yeah. For the best. What I'm saying is it's a bummer today. Yeah. yeah. It was super a bummer back then. Oh, yeah. That is pretty much a great thing to keep in mind throughout the entirety of this episode is like, if it's a bummer today, oh, God. Yeah. In the words of the, the wise Andre Gazetta, oh, no. <laughs> so almost everything that I've mentioned so far should point to Herf having a terrible upbringing, living through poverty, losing a family member, and the literal hellish atmosphere that honestly sounds like a description of the fucking apocalypse. But Marshall Sr. worked for one of the only industries that booms when the rest of the world is falling apart. Religion. Oh, I was going to say plungers, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> The plunger industry booms when uh, when the apocalypse happens or whenever Taco Bell releases a new item. <laughs> it was because whenever the uh, KFC Cheeto sandwich yeah. comes out. <laughs> plunger Christ. sales up, Cheeto sales down. <laughs> Marshall Sr. was a Presbyterian minister who worked for the Presbyterian Extension Committee. The church, who before the Great Crash was seeing a steep decline in attendance, thought that the Great Depression would be a great catalyst for getting butts back in pews. Which is the equivalent of, like, imagine if you owned a lemonade stand and it was the hottest day of the summer. That's yeah. that's how they felt. Also, I mean, to be fair, uh, it's like, I guess, what's a good modern equivalent? It's like... Uh, Owning a crystal store anytime Gwyneth Paltrow releases a new blog article. Yes. <laughs> or a Similar. plunger factory or a anytime plunger KFC. Factory anytime KFC brings back the Cheeto sandwich. <laughs> 
And so Marshall Sr.'s job was to travel from town to town in South Texas and pitch the locals the same offer he had been offering towns across the state. Give the Applewhite family a place to live, help him build a church, and in a few years' time, you'd have a fully functioning house of worship. So he's door-to-door selling church. Yeah, he's a snake oil man, but for churches. That's amazing. And it was it was it was sanctioned by the Presbyterian Church. So the goal was to just create more Presbyterians in America. Right, right. So according to members of the churches Marshall Senior helped build, most of which are still active today, Whoa. the Applewhite family was like a beacon of hope during a period of darkness and misery in South Texas. Descriptions of Marshall Sr. paint the portrait of a man who was smiling more often than he was not. They say that he radiated kindness and a friendly warmth. Turns out that was actually just radiation and uh, he was eating uranium every day. Chernobyl. Yeah. Or just drunk. Yeah. No, he, he was, he was uh, the radiation thing is a joke. He was completely sober. Uh, <laughs> he was <laughs> He was always quick to help out, even if the problem wasn't related to building or organizing a church. Herf and the other Applewhite children were extroverted socialites who got along well with the kids of any new town that they moved to. And during construction, they could be seen running errands and making sure the workers had everything that they needed. Louise Applewhite, uh, Marshall Sr.'s wife, never shied away from helping the men put up the walls of the church. She was treated as an equal, essentially, which is kind Mm. of rare for the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But once a physical building began to take shape, she would be buzzing around town working to put together a choir. And once the sermon started to take place, she would act as the church's piano player, too. Marshall Sr. would act as the interim minister for about the first year or so. And during that time, the family would work together to build up the congregation, sometimes reaching membership of several hundred people. Wow. So they were good at it. They were amazing at it. Like I said, there's uh, the, the Parkview Presbyterian Church in Corpus Christi that we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but that one... He, they said that he built it up within one year to like 600 uh, members. He was crazy good at getting people to believe in a religion, which is super fucking convenient. Yeah. (laughs) After they built up the congregation, they would appoint a new minister and move on to the next town in need of a little bit of faith. Around 1945, after World War II ended, America's population began to boom and the city of Corpus Christi, Texas, practically exploded and also i what i like about corpus christi is that it is it is a town that basically has a stripper name built into the name <laughs> like, <laughs> who's up on the pole there oh that's corpus christi they call her that because she's got that dead tooth in the front like a corpse but also her name is christy it's just good because if the town ever goes bankrupt they have a backup plan <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, baby, shake that municipal building. Tony Kansas likes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Tony Kansas supports the economy of Corpus Christi. Fuck off. You need support the arts. <laughs> Spinners, peelers, all of it. And the Presbyterian Extension Committee decided that they were going to capitalize on the extensive growth by opening three new churches in or around the city. Such a large task meant that for the first time in a long time, the Applewhite family was here to stay. Settling down meant that for Herf, now 14 years old, he would finally be able to attend school for longer than just a year or two years at a time. So he was able to attend Corpus Christi High for the rest of his high school career. For a lot of kids, constantly moving around and having to make new friends 
that you know you really won't ever see again is kind of a huge issue. But like I said earlier, the Apple White kids had no problems making friends wherever they went. But this especially applied to Herf. If his sisters were extroverts, then Herf was something else entirely. He was described as being an overachiever who seemed to have a permanent spot on the honor roll, and he was usually the president of whatever clubs he joined at school, and he also had several different hobbies and talents. But he wasn't just a big old fucking nerd, which is how I would describe <laughs> uh, that person. I mean, hey. that, that kind of describes how I was in high school and I went to college. So maybe Mr. Scientology dumb guy, maybe it's not so bad. We're doing the same podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I also did well in school so I could get an art degree. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. My degree's, Why? In, my degree's in film. So, you know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Uh, he seemed to have countless friends and even a girlfriend, a girl named Anne Pierce, within months of moving into town. He, he was charismatic and outgoing, and he emanated smiles and friendliness just like his father. And, according to his eldest sister, he was apparently a really funny guy, too. He was quite the family comic at times, she told the New York Times. You know, some people say that I should be a comedian. I'm like the funniest person out of all my friends. <laughs> I'm like the funniest person in this 1930s high school. <laughs> he knew how to do this thing he called the elephant walk, and it would get everyone laughing. What? I don't know what the elephant walk is, but I assume it's just walking with your dick out, being like, I'm a big old elephant. Well, okay, okay, so... Elephant walk is also a name of like a frat hazing ritual. Oh. There are a couple different descriptions of it, and I can't believe I remember this. And I'd never seen it done. I don't know anyone who's done it. It was just one of those like rumors that persisted where essentially you would have guys get strip naked, get in a circle, and then each one puts their dick in the butt and the guy in front of them and they walk in a circle. Oh, God. And. Yes, and this was a, like, prevailing rumor. My main two thought processes are that it was, A, him just going... Yeah, yeah. Or that he would take off his pants, whip his dick out, (laughs) and and he was just like, this is my truck. I'm a big old elephant. (laughs) I also don't know how big his dick was. I couldn't find that out in research. Why do you need to know that? uh, I need to know. I'm so curious. I've never seen an elephant with a little trunk. Have you? I want to know how big everyone's dick is at all times. Baby elephants. What? Huge dicks. Anyway. (laughs) Turtles. Massive. Massive dongs. Your dog. Huge. That's accurate. Our dog has a. Our dog is a small. Your dog has a people-sized dick. Twenty percent dick. Like, God, I'm so jealous like, of this Like, I'm dog pretty dick. sure he gets skinny when it comes out, because that's what's <laughs> stored inside his body. Like, toothpaste. Like, a tube of toothpaste. Anyway, <laughs> one of the many groups that Herf joined in Corpus Christi was the Big Dick Club. And no, what? I'm, 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 no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Tracking? Great. I was just going to let it go, and then I was like, wait, hold on. He joined the choir, or rather, he joined several choirs. Because one of the things that everyone mentioned about Herf was that he had an amazing singing voice. And growing up, he was always a member of the choirs that his mom organized for the separate churches. But as he got older, his voice developed into a beautiful baritone. And he used that singing voice in both the school choir and the choirs that his mom was setting up for the three churches that they were building in Corpus Christi. 
When Herf graduated from high school in 1948 at the age of 17, he announced his plans to follow in his father's footsteps and study to become a Presbyterian minister. He enrolled in Austin College, about 500 miles away from his family, as a philosophy major. Sorry, I just hate philosophy majors. Well, I was just thinking, like, you think we wasted our degrees? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. At least I got to watch movies. (laughs) That you're so happy you paid for college. (laughs) I'm happy I didn't, actually. I'm I'm happy that the people who gave birth to me love me a lot. On a college campus, Herf's magnetism and positive vibes led him to the same social success that he had seen in high school. He was the president of the Association of Prospective Presbyterian Ministers, a.k.a. the Virgin Club. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey. Ain't no elephant walks in here, son. But he was also the president of the Judiciary Council, a.k.a. the Big Dick Boys. (laughs) No, I'm. I, that's. I don't know what that is. Uh, obviously, they're like a jury of some sort. Or I mean, what whatever happened to judge not lest ye be judged? <laughs> Sorry, no, go ahead. <laughs> and of course, he was the president of the acapella choir group. His college friends and roommates all said the same thing about Herf. He was popular, smart, and for a minister, or at least a prospective minister, he was not particularly religious. I mean, he loved his religion and philosophy classes, and he even eventually befriended a philosophy professor who tried to urge his students to always ask questions and go against the crowd. Boy, did I bet he regret telling that (laughs) to the leader of Heaven's Gate. Did he also go up to Jim Jones and be like, invest in powdered drinks? Like, (laughs) what? Yeah. But Herf's true passion was always music. He spent all of his free time singing and listening to Brahm and Hondo. Uh, I don't know how popular they were then, but I assume it would still be kind of a condescending asshole move to just play that at a college. Yeah. Yeah. If I ever just walked into a college dorm room and a popular dude was listening to classical music, I'm about to get axed to death because that dude is a serial killer. That's somebody who's seen American Psycho way too many times. Straight up, someone who was a philosophy major invited me to his place to just sit and listen to a classical music record quietly on a couch. That's a murderer. I thought I was going to die. Yes. He did not make a move. Ugh. We so just sat Towards there. a knife or towards N- Towards anything. <laughs> okay. I was just like, I don't know what's happening right now. And I fell asleep. So sometimes I will uh, do a very similar thing to Andrea. But instead of classical music, it's hip hop. It's every single time you've ever played a song for me, it's been good. So now I just let you play songs. That's fair. Exactly. That's but exactly I'll, how I I'll feel just like it. make her sit through a Kanye song and then turn it off and be like, so here's the background of Kanye west's mother's health at this time he'll get mad at me he'll be like you're not listening i'm like i can listen with my ears i don't need to do it with my eyes i can also draw so uh with herf music was this little worm that had weaseled its way into his soul and after he graduated from austin college in 1952 when he was 21 he enrolled at the union theological seminary of virginia to take a three-year course that would end with him being an ordained presbyterian minister But that never happened. The call of music was too great to resist, and Herf dropped out of seminary school after just one semester. During this time, Ann Pierce, who was Herf's high school sweetheart, was living in North Carolina working on her bachelor's degree. The couple had been going steady since their Corpus Christi days and had even made the long-distance thing work while they attended college about 1,200 miles apart. 
And when Herf dropped out of school in Virginia, he moved to North Carolina to move in with Anne. The two were married in July of 1952 and settled down in the town of Gastonia, North Carolina, which sounds like the precursor to outcast Stankonia. I was listening to Stankonia on my way to work this morning. <laughs> it just sounds like Gastonia happens and then you have Stankonia. That's what. Don't it's... you think I'm so culty? I'm just so bald and weird. <laughs> I was going to say Gastonia sounds like Gaston's like like country. No, like uh like, like he sister. farted on you. Oh, oh like a sister. <laughs> sister with shoulders like a linebacker. <laughs> hey, I'm Gastonia. <laughs> I use antlers in all of my decorating. <laughs> So Herf got a job as the director of music at the First Presbyterian Church, and the couple had two kids, Mark and Lane Applewhite. Uh, we're not super going to cover the children all that much, but just as a fun fact, Mark Applewhite and his wife Judy run a bed and breakfast that you can visit. Wait, where is it? We're going to stay there, right? Yeah, we're definitely going to go. We're I'm not going to say it on this podcast because I don't want to be a dick, but if you want to look for it, you can find it. But I'm sure they don't. They're not like, they're the nice aliens people. stop bed and breakfast. They're like... <laughs> We're this is Mark and Judy's place, and we're just trying to get back to a nice family friendly place. Okay, but yeah, I love a good. Wait, this is his children. This is his children, and this is his children. Like now, this is uh, that's just a small aside. Uh, But for two years in 1952, or but for two years after 1952, they lived happy lives in Gastonia. They were active members of the church. They often held dinners where other couples would come and hang out. And Herf was just as loved and popular here as he had been his whole life. But in 1954, heading towards the start of the Vietnam War, Herf was drafted into the army. But, as I'm sure you're able to gather from almost everything that we've covered so far, nothing about Herf screams soldier. The man just wanted to sing. But the army saw that too, so they gave him the perfect job, an instructor for the Army Signal Corps. Oh, nice. So, for those of you that don't know what the Army Signal Corps are, which uh, is also me before researching <laughs> for this episode. Is this like uh, is this like the girls who, who twirl the flags? Color Guard? Yeah. No, they're not the color guard. But that I love your image of war where it's like, oh, wait, hold fire. It's the color guard coming in first. <laughs> These are the fake rifles. <laughs> Quick, sneak one real one in there. <laughs> oh, we shot Judy. Oh, oh, damn it. oh no. Oh, Judy. Oh, well. So they're the division of the army that creates and manages communications and information systems. So basically because you have your troops spread out across a foreign country, in this case Vietnam, they need to find ways to get orders and information to every group, making sure these messages aren't intercepted, and if they are intercepted, are not easy to uncode. So the army really hit the nail on the head with figuring out where to put Herf. His position utilized almost all of his best skills. The leadership he learned from the president or from being the president of many different clubs. The teaching skills he picked up as a musical teacher. And I'm sure he was using that sweet baritone over the radio. <laughs> you know he's on the radio just like, this is ground control to Major Tom. I uh, hope you're not in Saigon. <laughs> because they're sending like a thousand troops. Run, run now, please. I don't know. I just think it's funny. No, that was a great, yeah. that was a great riff. God damn it. Herf stops singing on the radio. Oh, he's got his dick out. He's doing the elephant walk again. <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. 
so he served in the army for two years before being honorably discharged in 1956 at the age of 25. And over the next several years, Herf and his family traveled across the country going wherever Herf could find work as a musician. He worked as an occupational therapist in Boulder, Colorado, while attending the University of Colorado, where he would get a master's degree in music focusing on musical theater. Talk about useless fucking degrees. Yeah. That's my sister has a musical theater degree. She owns a house. Like, we can't even argue with this shit. She owns a house and she made our theme song. She owns a house. She made our theme song. She's a fancy corporate lady now. Doing great. Yeah. Killing it. Fucking killing it. He was cast as the lead in the university's renditions of South Pacific and Oklahoma. (gasps) And then the family moved to New York, where Herf tried to make a go at having a professional music career. Oh, no. Um, There are no, as far as I can find, and I've done a fuck ton of research, there are no recordings of him singing at least... As like a solo performance. I couldn't find anything of groups either, but I know that it's out there. So if anyone has a lead on finding recordings of him singing, please get at us, cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. Unfortunately, his solo career never really took off. He was able to get uh, some commercial work and gigs as a singer and conductor for community cultural music groups. But other than that, the whole trip to new york was kind of a fucking nothing and he had to move back to the south so after that in the early 60s the family moved to alabama where herf took a job as a professor at the university of alabama for herf all of the moving around was normal his whole life he had gone from town to town setting up a new life at every stop along the way but all of this moving around was starting to put a strain on his relationship with his family Each town they went to was joined by a promise that soon they'd be able to settle down and live a normal life. But this was just another life path that Herf was looking to get out of because of a different greater calling coming from inside him. Because Herf Applewhite was gay. No, really? The guy who joined multiple choirs? (laughs) Hey, come on. He also had bleached blonde hair and fabulous clothing. I mean, as somebody who traveled with a choir as a teenager of course he was (laughs) yeah but what year is this this is in the 60s yeah he's also a tough time to be gay yeah hell yeah of course he's also it's not he so we don't know his exact sexuality he was we quick speculation zone i don't have anything prepared for this but i think he was gay i think he was gay uh they say that he was bisexual because he did have relationships with women but a lot of the inner turmoil that we see uh coming up later and throughout his life was because every time he had a sexual relationship with a man somebody told him it was wrong and he thought that gay being gay was something that you could cure Mm. like he thought that you could go to the hospital and like I don't know if he thought it was therapy or like medicine, but he thought you could cure the gay away. They're just like take two bull whips and <laughs> and shave extra. Oh no, 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 that would make you more gay if anything. I don't know how I was that's thinking helping. Indiana Jones, but you're right because like a leather daddy would be like, thanks for the extra bull whip. Yeah, what? <laughs> and now you're shaved and ready. Hello. 
So Herf, Herf knew that he had liked men for almost his entire life. But even now, in 2019, like you said, coming out of the closet is an extremely stressful and sometimes traumatic experience. Oh, yeah. People get thrown out of their houses and beat to death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Today. Like, imagine what yeah. it was like in the 60s. Exactly. Imagine how hard it was in the deep south. He's in Alabama Oof. during the 1960s. And on top of all of that, he wasn't just Herf. He was Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr., the son who was supposed to follow in his father's footsteps of becoming a Presbyterian minister. But just like with his calling to music, Herf realized that there was no amount of lying to himself that could stop the truth from being true. And in 1965, when he was 34, the truth came out. And the University of Alabama uncovered Herf's sexual relationship with one of his male students, and he was fired from the university. Mm. Yeah, you can't have relationships with your students. Actually, that's not true. Unless Plenty you're a of man. people did when I was in college. <laughs> Unless you're a man and the students are women. hey my entire art school. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, <laughs> there, was, there was a humanities professor that was super hot that people would just... Like oh. only show up to those classes. See, the problem is they didn't realize that that's he actually taught human titties. It wasn't uh, humanity. Uh. <laughs> it was. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Chad. Welcome to Human Titties. Look at these. <laughs> Bam. There was a rumor that he just picked a new girl each quarter. Oh God, that's so <laughs> gross. So crazy. That's how our the professors that were banging students at my school weren't even hot. Like I was like, what's the appeal? Well, when Anne found out about the affair, she was devastated and the two separated and filed for divorce because they were unable to make their marriage work but fucking nothing's gonna make your marriage work honey he's gay i i already there there's uh, a gay friend of ours that has a crush on my fiance and i did tell him that if jake ever came out of the closet i'm not sad you just have to take me antiquing with you it's kyle uh yeah is, yeah, yeah is our friend and yeah i can oh my god i want them to be together right? because they would i kind of do too like oh i'm not even god. mad about it they look like they would take turns picking each other up and throwing each other <laughs> just cable <laughs> tossing yeah. each other across the field yeah so i cute. love it oh my god <laughs> Uh, but finally the truth was out and Herf could be who he was on the inside, a loud and proud bisexual. Herf moved back to Texas later that year and got a job at the University of St. Thomas in Houston as the head of the music department and as an English literature professor for the campus's summer school program. <laughs> so, you know, it's the small things. But for this brief period in his life, Herf was openly bisexual and a mildly successful musician, which was kind of all he ever wanted really in addition to his job at the university he also moonlit as a locally popular singer with the episcopal church and the houston grand opera but as the case is with most gay people in this place at this time herf was forced to dial back his true identity because of the backlash of his peers it's just one too many sequins on the fringe jacket <laughs> No, I'm, I'm sorry. This is horrible and you terrible. You yeah. too many sequels. I know. Who would even suggest such a thing? For five years between 1965 and 1970, Herf went back and forth between trying to date men and trying to date women. But with men, he faced stigma and a lack of openness. He couldn't really be in a like an open relationship with them because of the stigma of the time and with women he could never seem to make the relationships work and towards the end of this five-year period his students and colleagues noticed that he was starting to unravel 
In fact, Patsy Swayze, who is Patrick Swayze's real mom. Shut the fuck what? up. And what? was a member of Herf's theater group in Houston. Oh, my love, <laughs> my darling, I hunger for your pots. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's from the movie Ghost, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a she, pottery class. She was a member of Herf's theater group in Houston and she went on the record saying that Herf was a normally or was normally a well-spoken and put-together guy, but he was starting to become incoherent and scatterbrained. And if Patrick Swayze's mom says that you're acting crazy, well, you know you've reached your point break. In 1970, Herf resigned from his position at the University of St. Thomas, citing depression and other emotional problems, although word around campus was that the university found out about him having another sexual relationship with one of his male students. Yeah, so he, in 1970, he uh, either quits or he gets let go of his position at the University of St. Thomas. But in January of 1971, Herf's dad, Marshall Sr., passed away. And this sent Herf into a deeper spiral of depression. And in an attempt to cope, or maybe just to escape, he moved to New Mexico where he operated a deli that, and there's fucking sources to back this up, apparently was more popular with him running it. I mean, did they have awesome specials that put chili on things that don't usually have chili on them? Because... there is no other things other than just like he was an extremely popular manager and like they the customers loved i just i don't know what it oh you mean herf subs yeah i love that place guy cries into all the sandwiches but god God damn it if the tears don't make it taste that much better i I, bless his heart I had, I had customers who loved me back when I worked in retail that would specifically come to the store to say hi to me. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's also... People get very attached to their retail workers. You know what? Honestly, though, it makes such a big difference when someone is a human to you and, like, oh, yeah. remembers who you are and mm-hmm. asks you, like, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also when they cry into your sandwich. But within just a few months, Herf moved back to Houston. Jobless, broke, and in the middle of a life meltdown, he resorted to borrowing money from his friends just to get by. And these friends were super worried about Herf, because not only was his career basically over, but instead of bouncing back like he always had before, he was starting to act really strange. He's poor than a church mouse. I don't know what happened, but he came back and he's super weird. Great sandwiches, though. Like, 100, 100% better. I don't know what happened in New Mexico, but God damn it, the man can sandwich. So Herf, Herf told his friends that he was starting to hear strange voices. He was starting to have bizarre dreams. And even once, he had an out-of-body experience. He told them that he was taken from his body, taken somewhere far away, and that a presence had given him all of the knowledge of where the human race had come from and where it was going. Bro, I did mushrooms too. And (laughs) (laughs) my theory is that it was just like, oh, Herf, you just fell fell asleep watching Jeopardy again, buddy. Wilder than a bag of raccoons. Unable to find anything other than laughs from his friends, Herf started dabbling in astrology and ancient mysticism, but couldn't find the answers he was looking for. He started thinking that maybe his friends were right. Maybe he was going crazy. Maybe Mercury's in Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I'm just a simple gator astrologist. <laughs> he thought that he was going crazy until one day in March of 1972, something happened. While visiting a hospital, he had a chance encounter with a nurse. And when they met, they had a profound feeling of recognition, like they had known each other for years. And that nurse was 45-year-old Bonnie Nettles. So Bonnie Lou Truesdale was born in Houston, Texas on August 29, 1927. She had a similar childhood to Herf in terms of setting. It was Texas during the Great Depression, but she had nowhere near as strong of a religious upbringing as Herf had. Uh, She was raised Baptist, but she was always clear that her faith didn't define her as a person. And goddammit, if that is not an ironic statement to make now, (laughs) with hindsight. Friends from her teenage years later told reporters that she basically only went to church because all of her friends did. That's why a lot of people go in their teenagers. Yeah. That's why a lot of people go as adults. It's pretty common. It's a communal place. After graduating high school, she became a registered nurse and found a job at a hospital in her hometown. And in 1949, at the age of 22, she married a businessman named Joseph Nettles. I don't... There, No one is clear on what business he mans. <laughs> he's, like he's like the kid from Bojack Horseman. Yeah, he's just like... He gets home every day and he's like, well, did a business. <laughs> Tell me who's your housekeeper, what you keep in that house. Stay out my business. Don't open my briefcase. It's full of business. Also, I did some business in the bathroom. Don't go in there for a while. (laughs) So Bonnie and the businessman uh, had four kids together and lived a moderately happy life for a while. As you can kind of see from what we've covered in Herf's life and what we covered at the beginning of Bonnie's life, a majority of social gatherings in Texas at this time and sometimes even now are centered around potato salad oh oh yeah sorry is it weird that i like that is the biggest thing i miss about church is the gatherings for sure because yeah it it meant you always had something to do yeah and people to do with and you know people yeah in fairness though all in catholic church all the people at those gatherings are real weird because they're like way too into it but they're not catholic they're baptist and presbyterian yeah those they're more fun except for the lack of drinking it, de- it depends on your denomination and where you are. Because, like, growing up non-denominational, we had shit all the time. And it was just, like, other families that also had kids your age. Mm-hmm. So it was basically, like, it was almost like having a whole second set of school friends. If they didn't already oh, go to your fun. school. Oh, yeah. So it's almost just, like, imagine if... Like, and I went to Christian school, so there was a lot of bleed over. So a lot of times it was my school friends and their families. So imagine if like every holiday, like Christmas, Easter, or even just sometimes Sunday when there's a big football game, you get to see all of your school friends and hang out all the time. Oh, that sounds fun. It's yeah. it's really fun. It's a lot of religions have, uh, I would say most religions have, uh, the main selling point is community. Like you have people that you can, you know, connect well, with. Well, and that is part of the whole, like, at least as far as. Mo- the, modern times, I would say. Well, no, just the way I, I was raised, that's part of the selling point. It's like, it's one thing to follow Jesus on your own. That's great. But it helps you as a person to be around other people who do. Yeah. Because then you also have a cultural support system. So it's built to ideally strengthen everyone in the group. 
because they all have somebody there. <laughs> it's like a spiritual vaccine. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, for herd, me. It, herd immunity. Yeah. Herd immunity. To the devil. Yeah, we're just going to vaccinate you with seven layer dip. <laughs> yes. So at the time, like we're, we're talking about, you went to church. Events in town were sponsored by the church. Mm-hmm. And you hung out with other couples you knew from church. But Bonnie, not to let religion define her, was growing bored with the monotony of church-centric life. And she was she was what they called, uh, at the time, biblically literate, which is a term that uh, refers to, like, you know the stories, you know the Bible, but you just don't really care. You, you know the stuff, yeah. but it's in your brain, but it's like, it's background knowledge. And she was definitely interested in finding answers to age-old questions, but she was starting to wonder if maybe she could find answers to old questions in new places. Crystal, like somebody else's butt? Well, <laughs> yeah, she started doing the elephant walk. <laughs> so in the 1960s, when no she was... No shaming. <laughs> no, no, not at all. In the 1960s, when she was about 33, she took the path of every bored white girl who figures there has to be more to life. MDMA. She, Goes to Jamaica on vacation. She started dabbling in astrology. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm a Leo rising with a... Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio and I'm going to resent that forever. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article on the history of astrology and its rise to fame in American culture because it kind of like the reason so many people in the story are getting into astrology is because this is when astrology came back and kind of made itself into the like uh, current methodology of astrology that we have today. So I'm not going to do a whole fucking little breakdown of astrology that's going to take a long time. I condensed three pages of, of, of this long fucking article into a paragraph. Just like a Capricorn. Yeah. In the 1960s, astrology moved from being a practice of heart science to a practice of psychology with a mix of Eastern mysticism and theosophy thrown in too. Astrologists believe that using the practice to explain people's moods and how these moods line up with certain events was basically, uh, they called it synchronicity. It was like these events just line up and that's what life is. And because it was framed as less quote-unquote fortune-telling and more as a tool for psychological help, it started to pick up steam in certain question-asking groups. Bonnie's dive into the occult, which is, it's the term that they have for, like, astrology. Oh, yeah. Growing up in the church, everything remotely astrological is called the occult. Yeah. The astrology... Harry Potter. Astrology is the cult. Harry Potter is a cult. Little Wayne, super occult. Don't understand it. like hates witchcraft terrified of it loves her some books and so she read harry potter and even though it was still banned at school she was like read this though it's really good (laughs) my cousin couldn't read harry potter or anything that brought him joy oh that's sad my grandma read me harry potter and i was like this is so boring grandmama (laughs) i read a lot of historical romance novels Jesus, it's really shaped me (laughs) and she wrote a lot of vampire novels there's a really good cleopatra one i've read that one yeah it's really good i thought i got it because i thought it was a historical novel for research there's a whole section where they talk about waxing her pubic hair yeah i was yeah 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 yeah. i was like this isn't for school anymore yeah yeah, that's a good one. The the one where the girl got kidnapped by a Native American tribe and then fell in love with one of them was also really good. Hmm. Hmm. 
But Bonnie's dive into the occult started small. She was reading new books, mostly historical romance novels. Uh, (laughs) No, she was reading new books on uh, astrology, uh, hanging out less with church and more with a group of like-minded people. Crystals. Yeah. But eventually, she became a sort of amateur astrologist herself. She even started writing an astrology column for the local newspaper. And as Bonnie's knowledge of astrology grew, she started looking into its new influences, mainly theosophy. Bonnie joined a Houston branch of the Theosophical Society in America. The society is a kind of semi-secret society. We should also do an episode on them because we also have that other book written by a listener about theosophy. Yeah, it's uh, he's going to get so mad at how much I condense this. <laughs> Because, we're sorry, we'll cover it in another yeah, episode. We're, we're definitely going to cover it because it's super interesting and there's a lot of like different ways that it's been used in different cults. But we're, we're kind of covering... I'm not covering the history of theosophy. I'm covering the, the lessons of theosophy in 1960s Houston, Texas. Yes. So it's not, it's not what you're familiar with and I'll kind of get into why. At its core, the goal of theosophy is to create a unified society not defined by race, sex, caste, or color, and to have this society question conventional thought in order to unlock the unexplained laws of nature and the powers that lay dormant within humanity. Sorry, human titties. That's what I... Scholars have traced modern theosophy's roots to Victorian debates between science and religion, the Western discovery, and the fascination with the East particularly India. They really liked, that's where the whole caste uh, reference comes from. Mm -hmm. But theosophy in America was heavily influenced by new religious innovators, and that is in heavy quotation marks. Theosophy is a deeply confusing and wild set of beliefs. It is the same belief system that some white supremacists use to claim that they are the master race that come from white aliens i suppose hollow earth Aryans, yes yeah what no so apparently sorry no hollow moon no 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 the hollow moon people are different than even these people god damn it i can't keep track of their nonsense i don't fucking understand it at all i read i read half a book last night at one in the morning and was like where the fuck am i reading this this has nothing to do with anything and you could have just been reading historical romance yeah i want to read about cleopatra getting dicked down by king Tut. I was going to make it tit, but I don't... That's totally different dynasties. And (sighs) if you read it, you would know that. Oh, are they historically accurate romances? I mean, I don't know. The Red Tent was pretty good. Bro, she fucked Caesar, You're telling me an Egyptian got a Brazilian wax? Come on, Paige. Well, I mean, it wasn't called a Brazilian at the time, and they were plucking her armpit hairs. Oh. At the time, it was called an ouchie. Uh, So, yeah. Theosophy is fucking wild and it is used by certain people to make bad ideas seem quote-unquote palatable so basically take everything that i'm about to explain with a grain of salt especially and this this more so directly applies to the religious innovators that i'm talking about essentially what they were teaching in houston is that there is life on every planet and some life is more advanced but none are more advanced than venusians who come from venus the venusians are ascended masters who have transcended from earth after their time on earth was complete actually the part of them that you can see is the vulva the venusians the inside <laughs> <laughs> apparently 
Apparently, no ascended masters have ever found the clitoris. Though. Oh, well, you know that makes sense. The Osophists <laughs> seek religious enlightenment through the channeling of spirits of ascended beings who live in a spiritual plane and now as extraterrestrials on the planet Venus. So that is uh, basically a condensed version of several decades worth of innovation in theosophy. But there's only one thing that the Theosophical Society in America holds holier than aliens from Venus. And that is... Guns? Paying your fucking membership dues. And that is <laughs> something that Bonnie did not do. Oh, no. <laughs> so Bonnie now was forced to leave the society, albeit after acquiring the basics of their beliefs and practices. She basically pulled a free trial on them. You know, that whole yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'll give you my email. <laughs> it's... Hernando Rores. <laughs> Idiots. Hold on, I gotta go pay Netflix money. Uh, after you getting- know your mom does that. <laughs> after getting a taste of that sweet, sweet esoteric knowledge, there was no going back for Bonnie. But without paying her dues, she had to find a new way to access the power of theosophy. How expensive were these dues? I have no fucking idea. The society. Has she read the other Bolin girl. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> She had to find a new way to access the power of theosophy. So, every Wednesday, she held a seance group in her living room. Oh, you know, like you do. This is really just the most badass version of a book club you could possibly have. <laughs> this, wait, wait, wait. The spirits are speaking to me. They say, Judy, you can't keep bringing potato salad and acting like you made it. We all know you bought it from the store. <laughs> Wow, that was so... Did you guys hear that message? That was so great. I did. I also heard one that told us that we should read A Great and Terrible Beauty because it's also about witches. <laughs> <laughs> so Bonnie's seances were said to be powerful and effective. The group would contact powerful and knowledgeable spirits from beyond the grave. Spirits like the highly influential Franciscan monk, Brother Francis, or spirits like... Marilyn Monroe. They also did Marilyn Monroe because you got to have fun. You got to do mm -hmm. what's best for you. Spirits, excuse me, how can I get an oil stain out of a dress shirt? <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Dress Shirt. That's not helpful. Oh, we got the wrong one. This is the spirit that made all the stains. <laughs> oh, no. I don't make stains. I'm just drawn that way. Uh, she also began con contacting Venusians who would give Bonnie small glimpses into her future and life advice, which I can only imagine is like, Bonnie, if you just tell Judy you're bringing potato salad, she can't bring it every week. Ooh. I feel like a lot of their uh, problems centered We're around potato, potato salad. salad centric. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But while all of this ancient knowledge was great for Bonnie's popularity with her new friends, it was really starting to piss off her businessman husband, Joseph. Business, business, business! God damn it, Bonnie! I come home every day from working at a nondescript business location. <laughs> I just want to relax, take my pants off, do an elephant walk, and I come in here and there's a bunch of fucking weirdos and obviously store-bought potato salad. What the fuck is going on? Is it too much to ask that you not put business on the table? Every night. <laughs> He's just tripping over crystals like they're Legos. Ow, ow, ow. Damn it. I'm charging them in the bathtub. I gotta take a goddamn shower, Bonnie. <laughs> I'm late for business. 
That's just Joseph. Mercury is in retrograde right now. And so it's, I think you, know. you mean Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> the way that old Joe put it was that the deeper she delved into the occult, the more strain she put on her marriage. And then when she started talking to aliens, Joe had decided that it went too far. And so he took the kids and separated from Bonnie. How old are her kids at this point? Teenagers. Uh, her daughter in particular told this story that's actually really telling of how um, when they when she was younger, her and her mom, when she was starting to get when her mom was starting to get into astrology, they would go and look into up at the stars. And her mom uh, told her that her biggest dream was that an alien ship would come and take them up and take them away from Earth. And that was before all of this shit happened. Was that even before she met Herf? Yes. That was when she was barely starting to get into astrology. But now her husband is like, I'm fucking done with this Mercury and Gatorade bullshit. I'm I'm taking the kids and I'm going somewhere without astrology. California. (laughs) Surely there won't be any crystals there. I want, I want, (laughs) I want two things. I want no astrology and I want no coffee shops on every other block. California. Christians against crystals. We are meeting here today because we have a serious problem. Christians against crystals spells out cock. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) In the beginning of 1972, the Venusians started telling Bonnie about an important man who is about to change her life. A tall man with light hair and fair complexion. And while the description fits almost every fucking dude in the state of Texas. Yeah, I was going to say that that Bobby last week. Yeah. It did not match the description of her husband. Oops. It did, however, meet the description of the six foot one man with graying hair who came into the hospital she worked at in March of 1972. A man named Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. And for a second, we're going to hop into the speculation zone uh, for this hot, hot information. So uh, the reason we're going into the speculation zone is because the meeting of Herf or Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles is one of the most debated aspects of this cult. The most famous story, the one you probably have heard, listeners at home, was that Herf was a mental patient and that Bonnie was his nurse. But this claim comes from a newspaper reporter named Evan Thomas, who provided no proof, and later, when asked to provide proof, just flatly was like, I don't gotta provide proof. I'm a fucking, I wrote it. That's the proof. I'm a source in a Wikipedia article, motherfucker. I'm Evan fucking Thomas. Then did he shoot his guns in the air, go pow-pow, and ride away on a tiny horse? Ride away on a tiny horse and later become president of the United States. (laughs) That's, no, it's not. But he just, he fucking trumped it where he was like, I don't got to fucking, what, it's fake news. I I mean, it's real news. It's real news. It's not fake news. Uh, What's the name of the the tiny guy from Looney Tunes with the big red mustache? Yosemite Sam. Yeah, Yeah. he just Yosemite Sam'd it. No, we got it from the original reference. Okay, okay. Uh, I think that Herf was just at a hospital for an appointment or to visit a friend like Herf claims himself. And he just had a random run in with Bonnie, a run in where they both felt a powerful feeling of having met before. 
But I think there's an explanation for this feeling. Deja vu. <laughs> there is a story of Bonnie and Herf's meeting that has been heavily corroborated. And it is that, according to Bonnie's kids, Herf was helping their school put on a production and the two met at a school play because Herf was their drama teacher. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. I think Herf forgot about it because he met, like, everyone's parents. And I think Bonnie forgot about it because she kind of, at this point, doesn't give a fuck about her kids. She's just like, if you're not a crystal, I don't want shit to do with you. Bye. But my name is Crystal Mom. You Bye. named me. <laughs> but whichever story is right, Herf and Bonnie's paths crossed in the Houston hospital where Bonnie worked. And in that moment, they felt a intense spiritual connection. It might have been because they met a few years back at a school play, or it might have been because they were both going through extremely upsetting life changes and they recognized each other's pain. Bonnie was in the middle of a divorce, a divorce she felt like was caused by her pursuing her calling, a calling to something greater than being a registered nurse, which, honey, you're not going to find better health insurance as a cult leader. I'm just going to tell you. It's t I've looked into it. It's not great. Herf was struggling with his beliefs and sexuality. Whether he dated men or women, he couldn't seem to form any lasting or meaningful relationships, and the loneliness was starting to break his heart. But the moment the kernel of Heaven's Gate's history popped was when Bonnie Nettles made an offhand reference to astrology, as people who practice astrology always do all of the time, always. <laughs> they always, and I know what you're going to say, oh, Armando hates astrology, typical Capricorn. You must, <laughs> be, you must be like a Leo rising. You know the reason I hate astrology is because it's a study of why people born in January are assholes. That's why I hate your <laughs> stupid fucking... I'm not here to hear that as a person born in November. <laughs> I don't know what we're, that we're means. We're rated as like the assholes of the group. God, I don't. It's stupid. But My sign it's says true. I'm incredibly pleasant. So <laughs> that, that I'm I'm calling it stupid, but I'm also apparently fitting it into everyone's description of a Capricorn. So maybe the shit's real. I have no I idea. I secretly hold grudges against everybody. So sure. <laughs> Same. So no one that Herf knew would take his new interest in astrology seriously. But here, this woman who he felt like he had known forever was actually an astrologist. So, once he found this out, he raced out of the hospital, headed to his car, grabbed his birth certificate, and ran back. What? And he demanded that Bonnie read his chart. And she did, right in the middle of that hospital in Houston. Bonnie told Herf that their souls had known each other for years. In a past life, they had been partners in a platonic and goal-oriented relationship. But they had been partners that had been brought back together in their current incarnations in order to finish an important mission. And suddenly, everything in their lives made sense. The hard times they were going through, man, those were just necessary events that would allow them to sync up and come together. It was synchronicity. It wasn't the fact that Bonnie loved crystals more than her family, or the fact that Herf was uh, secretly gay and wasn't allowing himself to admit the truth. But the only question they had now was what was their important mission? Well, that's when Herf told Bonnie about his out-of-body experience, the one where he had been lifted somewhere far away and told all of the secrets of humanity. And in that moment, Bonnie knew why they had been brought together. Herf had been contacted by the Ascended Masters and Venus to enlighten the Earth, and she was his interpreter. And that's where we'll pick up next week on Heaven's Gate Part 2. Whoa. Whoa. Yay. 
Yeah. So this is this story is it takes place uh I guess technically 1927 because we go into Bonnie's background a little bit. 1927 to 1972. And this in almost every single book, uh article, fucking Wikipedia page, movie, everything that I saw, they fucking describe this whole period of time in like two sentences. Yeah, I mean, most of the other things that I've read or listened to about Heaven's Gate, they start in nineteen uh, in nineteen uh, uh, nineteen seventy. Yeah, they start like they kind of will say, "Oh, they met. They were both going through a rough time." Then they started this cult, and that's where the story begins. Yeah. But I feel like there's so much that helps you understand their motivations from this episode that we just covered. The thing is, is that Heaven's Gate is one of the most, like if you watch the documentary, one of the most sad parts is people who got out of Heaven's Gate before the the, um, the mass suicide, people who got out and then like, quote unquote, reprogrammed themselves. And I'm talking people willingly. There's a guy in the movie that's like, he's a, you can tell he's a really smart guy. He got out willingly. He deprogrammed himself and he's living a normal or semi-normal life. And the saddest thing in the movie is when he looks away from everybody and he goes, it just sucks because nothing's ever made sense still like what Marshall taught us. Hmm. It's this thing where like people who are out of the cult are still in it because there's like he's a great recruiter because he spent his whole fucking childhood learning how to recruit people his dad made 600 people go like oh yeah maybe i will believe in jesus and stop drinking yeah let's try that out for a little bit so there's just a lot of information in this episode that'll become insanely more uh important as time goes on because you're just gonna see like this all builds a fucking dust bowl of a person who's just gonna sweep through america and just like fuck everything up well it kind of makes sense too because from early childhood he's raised in the business of selling salvation yeah but then he realizes that the salvation he's selling doesn't he doesn't get to take part in it because of who he is intrinsically as a person because he's gay or bisexual or whatever. He doesn't get to yeah. have a part of that salvation. So he's like, oh, this isn't the answer. I have to find the new answer. And now he's met this woman that is saying, like, together we can find the answer. Exactly. And there's also, uh, for those of you that are familiar with Heaven's Gate's beliefs, the fucking Theosophical Society's beliefs, especially what they learned in Houston, should sound fucking familiar. Like, they fucking ripped that shit off. So, From Madame Blavatsky. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where the, the, the uh, Venus people come from. But the I am, the Ascended Masters thing, mm -hmm. comes from... Uh, Guy and Edna Bollard, mm. which is, again, it's from this fucking long-ass article that I read that, or no, that was the half a book. I read half a book on that bullshit. Is that Bollard shot collared? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> that was good. 20 inch blades on the Impollard. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm so sorry. I'm so proud of you in this very moment. <laughs> Finally, a good riff. <laughs> So that is Heaven's Gate Part 1. Awesome. That was amazing, V. You did a great job. Very good. Huh. Very nice. I'm glad you guys think so. We'll be uh, we'll be coming back next week to cover, uh, well, what happens next. Don't want to ruin it for you guys. Yeah. But, uh, I'm hey. I'm so excited. We got a couple of things uh, to announce. I mean, obviously, if you guys follow us on social media, then you know that we, today, just launched our Patreon. <laughs> 
yeah our patreon is um well it's a fucking patreon we're asking for your money because we've been doing this show for free for a really 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 long time and we really don't want to put ads in this show if we ever do we'll make them creative but the goal is to avoid trying to sell you guys a cooking service or comfortable sheetwear i'm not gonna say actual companies because they might want to Ar- someday armando's hair becomes more frazzled and flustered by the day so please give us money so that he can <laughs> he can relax and condition it the reason that we're asking for money is because we do a lot of work and Paige uh and andrea combined and even separately have put in over a thousand dollars or or more in this podcast over time it's it's a it's a huge expense to us and we really don't make any money unless we sell merchandise or when we do live shows and sometimes those live shows don't even net us we operate at a loss sometimes and i would have done it anyway because i love you yeah yeah we like doing it but we definitely want to make sure that we also aren't going into debt to do this thing and this <laughs> this is not this is not we're not doing this to stay at baseline. We're doing this and we're going to take your money and put it into making this show better. As you can tell a little bit today, we have slightly better sound and it's because I was able to fix up an old piece of audio equipment that we bought to make the sound better. And it's, you know, focusing on uh, on making that better, on editing. We also, I had a lot more time to do research so you get a longer episode a more in-depth episode and we want to do more of that in the future and the way to do that is to have money so we can kind of cut back on you know the day jobs that you both have to work yeah we we're still gonna have to work day jobs for a while yeah but i mean the idea is making the show as awesome as we want to make it takes money time and resources that we don't currently have but this would hopefully give us exactly and when you give us money, you're not you're not just giving us your money blindly. You become an investor in our show. And if you have notes, if you have concerns, if you have questions, you're, we're going to answer them. We're going to be there for you. We're going to ask you where you want our show to go, and you're going to help us. You're backing us. You are investing in us so that we can give you a better product. And yeah, and that's all we've always wanted to do. We've wanted to make this show, and we're never going to stop making this show. Until they stop making cults, and I don't think that's ever going to fucking happen. Don't seem to be slowing down. We've been, we haven't even cut. This is one of the biggest cults, and we're doing it on episode 100. Here's what's hilarious is one of our Facebook posts, well, the Facebook post for the Patreon, we were like, one of the biggest cults ever. And my mom had to guess four other giant cults <laughs> before she got to this one. Exactly. There's so many more groups out there and groups that you've never heard of and groups that you have heard of that maybe you didn't consider cults. And we're never going to stop uh, covering them. And so all we're asking for is a little help so we can keep giving you the show that you love and make the show even better. And so that we can eventually come see a bunch of you and do the show live. Hell we yeah. love to doing do it that. live. It's yeah. so much fun. Donating to our Patreon will allow us to go on tour more. It'll also allow us to make more uh, merchandise and... Um, and th- more episodes. Yeah. yeah. And more episodes. One of the biggest prizes that you'll get, or rewards, I guess, that you'll get for donating to our Patreon is The Speculation Zone, which is a bonus show that we're going to do every other week where we cover cult-adjacent topics. There's always stuff that gets left out of every episode just because there's no time for it or because it could take an entire extra tangent that we just don't have time to cover such a long tangent yeah 
Yeah, and so those episodes are going to be structured like these ones. We have actual research documents. We've already recorded a few of them at this point, um, but they're going to be great. You also get different rewards like the cult, uh, cult member welcome kit and the uh, cult leader starter pack, which you can find out what's in there by going to our Patreon. You can find a link too, by the way, by going to cultpodcastshow.com and clicking the uh, Patreon icon at the, uh, in the menu bar. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, folks, we we love each and every one of you. We're not going to stop doing the show, and the and show will always be free. Of course, our we main want to keep it that way. Our main show will always be free, and we're we're just trying to make the best show possible. The other news that we have is we do have another one of these live shows coming up. Yay! <laughs> yeah, our next live show is going to be on August twenty seventh, which is a Tuesday, and our two year anniversary. Yay! We're going to have a cake. If you have suggestions for what should be put on that cake as far as like birthday messages, hit us up yeah. on social media. Or Help if, us celebrate a cult podcast birthday. Yeah. Or if you want to be Jay-Z and just give us a bunch of names for cake, you can also <laughs> do that. Cake, 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 cake. And also, we launched our merch store today online. So if you're not in Los Angeles, you can still buy shirts and cool shit. Yeah, it's a great way to help support us. If you can't, if you can't donate to the Patreon, that's fine. And if you can't donate to the Patreon, I want to stress this a lot: you don't have to. We, we don't, still love you. We, we still, we love, still you. love you. And there's so many other ways to support the show: telling your friends about us, mm-hmm. writing reviews, posting about us on social media. All of that also helps. Thank you so much. Yeah, even listening. Each one of you that's listened to any episode, thank you. Thank you so much for doing so. Uh, Back to this live show, by the way. <laughs> live show, August 27th. It's a Tuesday. It's going to be in Burbank, California at Geeky Tees and Games. There's also a cat rescue there. Oh, I'm, so, I'm fucking... I'm so excited. I love... That's my favorite venue. I love it. I don't think they're going to let me, but I want to see if they'll let me ha- hold a cat for support. During the show? During Probably the s- not. I don't think they will. Armando's also allergic to cats, which oh makes this whole thing funnier. I love cats so much. I know. You've cat sat for me. I love cats. Uh, Geeky Tees and Games, Burbank, California, August 27th at 7.30 p.m. You can find tickets at cultpodcastshow.com slash Burbank or by going to cultpodcastshow.com and heading over to the show's page. Yeah, please come. It's going to be a blast. There'll be cake and hugs. And then also we'll talk about murder a bunch. Hell Yay. yeah. Tickets are $10 online, $15 at the door. And also you can bring whatever drinks or food that you want. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm not going to tell you to bring me Peach Fago if you find it. <laughs> B-Y-O cheese, baby. <laughs> yes. Let's make this the biggest cheese party ever. And, uh, hey, if you want to, if you want to send me, uh, oh my God, if you want to read my chart and tell me what's wrong with me <gasps> astrologically, I can do that right now. Then you I, can hit wait, me really? up. I'm going to have you read mine in a second. I think, <laughs> a, I think it's a, hilarious. There's a, like an internet thing where you just plug cool. in your times and it just oh, does okay, it. Okay, okay, it's fun. If you want to read my chart, then you can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo does stuff. That's M A N D O does stuff. Uh, and you can also find all of my show dates at mondodustuff.com. This week when this comes out, I'm going to be in Hollywood and San Diego and then heading to Clovis and Fresno. 
So, yeah, go there and find my dates and come see me do a show. If you want to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not empathize, but like when you talk shit, but together. Commiserate. Commiserate. If you want to commiserate about being a Leo rising, uh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and at me on all the things at Sundress Comic or check out my art at Andrea Gazetta. Uh, I'm a Scorpio. Don't at me. But if you want to talk <laughs> shit about all the other signs uh, or tell me about all the Scorpios you've dated that were weird control freaks, you can do that <laughs> at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. And if you like our show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send us actual shit, like, I mean, not not pieces of shit but like maybe some heaven's gate nikes or uh, they're so expensive they're like seven thousand dollars i looked at them online i want to first of all no one has them in my size uh i I, my leading guess is Shaq has them all but i'm sorry continue tempting uh or uh if you want to just Send us crystals because we don't have enough of them in California. There's a horrible crystal shortage. You can send them to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like Like the the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. I need crystals to power my lightsaber. (laughs) Oh, no, that's me. (laughs) I want kyber crystals because I'm going to the... I'm going to build a lightsaber at Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you made the nerds sound like a star, like the jet fighters and or the star fighters in Star Wars. Oh, okay, they're, like, they're called. Well, yeah, do yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah. Can you do it again? Probably not. It they're was, called Tie. Yeah. It was so no, good. Yeah. They're called Tie Fighters, and the noise you're talking about is scraping a violin. Thank you very much. It is. It is scraping a violin. That's true. Nerd. <laughs> I I was a huge Star Wars fan. I also up. love Star Wars. I'm gonna say with this one, uh, don't drink the crystal water because you're supposed to recharge them and like running water it's like a whole Mm, thing mm, don't mm. drink it then it won't work uh and also don't drink the kool-aid bye Bye. contact me for my bath water (laughs) 